0: Hello, pesto posse. Welcome to Pesto Pete's podcast. I'm your host, Pesto Pete, coming to you kind of live from the man cave. I'm uh, coming at you solo tonight. It's been about a month since my last podcast. I apologize for that. It's uh, really difficult to get people together and uh, to to button people down so that we can we can put together an hour long podcast. So I feel like I owe it to my listeners to get back to you within the month, and I'm a little a little beyond that at this point, but. Um, The pressure's kind of on, I have to admit. Um, I do have a paid subscriber, which I didn't know you could do. I know there's that Patreon stuff and and things like that, but I wasn't aware that you could pay for my podcast through my regular platform. And uh, I do have a paid subscriber, and I feel like not only do I owe it to my listeners, but I certainly owe it to my paid subscriber to bring content back, since, Kevin, you're paying for it. So thank you, Kevin. Um, again, folks, I'm not in this for the money. I'm in it to have some fun, bring some stories, talk about some facts and figures and things like that. But by the same token, um, you know, it's kind of encouraging to think that someone thinks that this podcast is worth $4.99 a month. So um, thank you. Thanks again. Thanks to everybody. And uh, remember, if you like the podcast, don't like the podcast, however you would like to uh, rate me, go on the the um, iTunes website, podcast website, and click on that far right star. Give me five stars. If you don't want to give me what you want and that will give me some idea on how I'm doing. So again, thanks everybody for listening. Um, I also wanted to thank my sponsor quiet cat. That's Q U I E T K A T, um, quiet cat.com. They're electric bikes, e-bikes, as they call them. Great pieces of equipment. In fact, I'm going to post a picture, um, tonight of a, a, um, an instagram photo that i saw from them today which was great it's like someone out shopping beer and champagne and they've got their quiet cat full of uh cores so which makes it even more appropriate since they are from uh, from eagle colorado it makes sense that they would load the, the panniers with cores so thank you quiet cat and for my listeners um use the code po like post office the number 20 in the percent symbol and anything you buy from quiet cat and any bikes you buy will be 20% off. And these aren't cheesy little bikes. These are great pieces of equipment that afford hunters and outdoors people, uh, the ability to get out in the back back country without scarring up the territory and making a mess of things and a whole lot of noise as well in emissions. So, uh, great, great pieces of equipment and uh, great environmentally friendly company. So. Keep in mind, Quiet Cat, the Q-U-I-E-T-K-A-T. Visit them online at QuietCat.com. Um, they've got some great uh, accessories and, and things to, to kind of drool over. So give it a shot. And uh, thanks to those folks for sponsoring my, my podcast. Um, wanted to start tonight by um, talking about some of the success of 2019. Uh, I spent some time, I, I think I mentioned it in my previous podcast with Tirsty Mofo, that I was heading up to northern Maine, where uh, pretty much seven hours from where I sit. It's now about two and a quarter hours north of Bangor, Maine. For anyone who knows what, where that is, it's two and, a half, two and a quarter hours northwest up on Penobscot, Indian land. A couple of our friends at camp are, uh, are tribal members, and they've got a piece of property and a great camp that overlooks Grand Lake Matagamon, and uh, always a good time. There were a dozen of dozen of us up there this year. Um, that's about the typical number, uh, and guys can come and go. They come in early, come in late, leave early, leave late. But there's always a, a blend at some point of about a dozen people. And we missed a couple guys this year. One gentleman had a, uh, an obligation with his son's football team. We had another camp member who moved out to the West coast up to Whidbey Island to be with his uh, daughter and her family as he's uh, got some grandkids out there and want to spend more time with them than he could from uh, 3,000 miles away. So uh, good for them. You know, they had great reasons not to be at camp, but we did have a good time. We got some uh, we got some snow, not the snow we expected early on. In fact, Brian and I left about a half a day early expecting to run into some serious snow. And, and uh, originally it was starting Thursday afternoon uh, with 12 inches predicted by the time we got on the road about 11 o'clock Thursday, um, they reduced that to less than one. So it was amazing how that forecast changed. It didn't stop us from leaving early, but it did uh, get us up to camp. Uh, Just the two of us opened camp, got things going and, uh, and guys started rolling in over the next couple days. Uh, we'll say that we did have a, a fair amount of snow on Monday and Tuesday and everybody got out in the woods. We, we tromped the woods pretty good. And believe it or not, um, you know between 12 guys and i can't tell you how much time we each put in the woods but we only uh, saw a couple of sets of tracks so it's uh, amazing how few deer there are up that north now um and rumor has it five or six years ago we lost about 85 percent of the herd due to winter kill and it's obvious you know um brian and i saw a big buck last year jump uh, jumped the road in front of us but besides that it's been a really really slow few years with, with the deer population. So unfortunately that's the case, but you know, we make do. We've got some guys who hunt Ohio as well, as you know, and I've mentioned before, Dave and Brian and I hunt, uh, Rhode Island. There's a bunch of us at home in Maine, uh, another group, obviously we all hunt in Massachusetts. So we've done really well. And I, I kind of rolled through some, some notes because it's hard to remember who's, uh, who's doing what, but at this point, I'm talking about December 5th. Um, we've had some great success. I shot the buck of my life uh, two weeks two weekends ago. Um, nice nine-pointer, dressed out at 158 pounds. Shot it with a bow. I um, it was actually kind of a cool hunt. I had been in that stand in that area, not in that stand, but in that area the week before, and was dancing with a little six-pointer who I got eyes on once. And that deer did not like what I was doing. We um, I was put up in a stand. Uh, it's a very convenient stand, and I, I hate to say that because it's not about convenience, it's about hunting where the animals are. But I, in the last two or three years, I've always had deer encounters from this stand. And it's a stand that was put in about 10 years ago. It's a low stand. It's only about 15 feet up. Um, and we've never seen anybody in it. It's a beautiful piece of equipment. It's, I think it's a gorilla stand. No one ever in it. So we started sitting in it. And every time I've sat in it, I've had deer encounters. Last year, I I had the opportunity to take a doe at about, I don't know, seven feet, uh, right under my feet. But it was um, early season, 70 degrees. And the first thing that crossed my mind is where am I gonna put this deer when I kill it? Um, The butcher was closed. It was close to seven o'clock at night. And uh, I couldn't think of where I was gonna keep this deer so that the meat wouldn't spoil. So I passed on her. And again, since then, have had encounters every time I've been there. Most recently, three weeks ago, I was uh, sitting there first thing in the morning and uh, never saw the deer, but heard the deer blowing at me. It did not like what it saw. It didn't win me because the wind was right in my face. It was out quartering in, in front of me and uh, it started blowing at me. And for those of you who know what a deer blow sounds like, it's uh, like a really big wheeze. It's a whoosh whoosh. And this deer blew at me 15 times probably from that, from that spot. So I gave up on it. I tried grunting at it a little bit. I tried bleat calling. It didn't work. Didn't even get eyes on the deer. About an hour later, I was standing, turned my turned in my stand facing behind me. And I'm looking up at the brush and I'm picturing this deer's face. And of course, if you're a hunter and you know what it's like to be in the woods, everything looks like a deer to you or whatever you're hunting. If you're hunting bears, it probably looks like a bear. If you're hunting elk, it probably looks like an elk. Well, this looked like a deer. Well, sure as shit, it was a deer. Staring at me from about 40 yards, through some brush. Not a, I wouldn't have had a shot at this deer. And I'm staring at it, and it turned and bounded and started blowing at me. Again, psh, psh, 10 or 15 times. The deer moved off. I gave up on it for a little bit. But an hour later, I see it quartering in front of me at about 45, 50 yards. And it's coming kind of around the perimeter of this open spot. In the thicker brush. Came out to about 50 yards in front of me. I could still see it, but there was certainly not a shot. Not that I would take a bow shot at 50 yards, pretty much anyway. And again, stopped, blew at me a couple times, and then I decided, well, two can play this game. I'm gonna blow back. So I started blowing back. He he was blowing at me. He's a six pointer, nice little rack, not a not a probably not a wall hanger but a a nice respectable deer and it moved off and that was that so i said to myself you know what i'm going to do i'm going to come in here this afternoon with my climber and i'm going to go out 60 yards 45 degrees from where i am into the thicker stuff and i picked out a tree and i was going to come in with my climber and go in you know portable and get up there and be in his bedroom be in there where where he's going to walk through where he thinks he's safe so I head home, get some chores done, and then find out that I'm going to an early dinner, so my plan was dashed. Well, I didn't give up on the plan the next Saturday. I decided I'm going to go in there and do very very much what I planned to do, and I went in a different angle than I normally would, so I wouldn't disturb that corner where that other stand was. so I came in from the other side a little bit in hindsight after the whole event, I remember putting on a deer drag with some doe estrus, and I was dragging that behind me. If anybody knows what a climbing stand is like, they're metal, you've got them on backpack straps on your back, and I'm coming through these woods and making just about as much noise as I could, by accident, of course, but could not keep it quiet. Dragging against brush, clicking against my boots, clinking against itself, So I come in, I go across what we call the phone line There's a trail. I go over the phone line into the swamp and I miraculously find my tree. Now, at this point, I'm about half an hour later than I want it to be. I get get to the tree, I start strapping in the, the climber. And if anybody again knows what that's like, it's not the most quiet thing in the world. I get on the climber, I work my way up the tree, I lock in. And said to myself, okay, well, that's a waste of a morning. I'll, I'll just get a nap. And the, the cli- I, I, I hunt a uh, Summit Viper, which is a very, very comfortable climbing uh, climbing stand. It's got uh, a seat that is on straps, so it kind of swings a little bit. And it's got a back pad that goes against the tree. It's super comfortable. So I said, you know what, for nothing else, I'll get a good nap in. So I settled in. I looked at my watch. It was 10 minutes of seven. Uh, again about a half an hour later than I want it to be. So I'm sitting there and about seven o'clock Dave Woody who is about probably 10 miles away in Westboro, and Brian who is about two miles away in Hopkinton and I was in my stand. We start we do a text as infrequently as we can uh, more so when we're bored but about seven o'clock the first text went out who's seeing what and we all came back with with squirrel, 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 right? We're all seeing squirrels. Actually, I saw the fastest red squirrel of my life. I, I looked down to see a squirrel, and that little guy was moving 40, 50 miles an hour. I don't know where he was going, what he was looking at, but the fastest little red squirrel I've ever seen. So I figured he was gonna spend some time around me that morning. So about 7:15, I'm in my in my sling seat, totally relaxed and I hear what I think is another squirrel, you know, the brush moving, the leaves moving. And then I hear a snap. And I'm thinking, that's going to be a pretty big squirrel to snap a branch. So I look out, and coming down that hill from where I had come originally, I see a body over my left shoulder. And it appears that Again, in hindsight, I thought about this later. Uh, The buck was probably following that drag to some degree. He wasn't right on it, but he was off to the side of it. Came down that phone line. Now, I stand up, and I'm thinking, this is never going to work. Obviously, I made so much noise. I ruined the woods. It's only a half an hour since I did, but obviously, he was too far away to hear what I was doing, which is good news. So, I then have to turn to my right to get my bow in my left hand. So I do these little tiny little stutter steps, turn myself 45, 50 degrees, get my bow, get the sling over my wrist. And then I start the other way, little stutter steps, trying not to make any noise or movement, try not to show any movement or make any noise. And I was actually pretty, pretty quiet. I turn all the way back around. And now my tree is just to my, to my left. I'm staring behind my tree and that buck is still coming parallel. To me. I find a spot in the brush where if he walks through it, I've got a clear shot. And sure enough, when that when that buck hit that spot, I drew, I released the arrow. And never realized how big his antlers were. I kind of kind of never looked at the antlers because I did not want to get buck fever. I did not want to get my hopes up. And when I shot, he either ducked the arrow or I hit a small branch because it was pretty thick brush and I hit him in the spine and that deer went down like I pulled a rug out from under him now he's down and for those of you know what a spine shot is like it's not typically lethal he was moving around a fair amount so I knocked another arrow I put another arrow in him um Humanely, I'm watching him again, he's still alive, and I put another arrow in him, he stopped movement, um, and then proceeded to get up and very gingerly walked away. And I saw him about 15 yards away, he started at 15, then he was another 15. He went down, and I saw white, and I said, okay, he's down. I sat and waited. I texted the boys. I said, I put big buck down. At that point, I had seen his antlers, saw what I had in front of me. And he proceeded to move while he was laying there. And I said, you know what? I'm getting out of here. I'm going to back out of the the stand, go back to the house, spend an hour of doing nothing, let him settle down, and then I'm going to uh, go back and retrieve him. So, of course, I get to the house. Brian's there. Dave texts, I'm on my way. I, I told him not to ruin his day in the woods, but he decided to come anyway. He shoots over and we wait and wait. And it's the longest wait of your life. It is just torture waiting and waiting and hoping. I mean, the hope that you've, uh, dispatched an animal humanely and, and so forth. So about an hour and a half goes by and we figure it's time to go in. We take the four wheeler. We go back in, we cut through, and we come down to that, to that trail. And as we come around the corner, walking toward um, where I originally went into the swamp, because we were going to track him, obviously, in that route, I looked down the trail, and there's another hunter. And I'm like, darn it. You know, we never run into people out here. What's this guy doing? So I said, I hope he's not onto my deer. So we walk toward him, and he signals to my right that there's something. He points to my right. And I put my hands up to my head, like, you know, showing like antlers. It was a question, you know, I like, was shrugging my shoulders and he nods. So I walk up to him and I said, gee, I know you. He goes, yeah, DJ. And I said, yeah, DJ, we've seen you out here turkey hunting before and deer hunting. I think um, he used to live right in an adjoining neighborhood uh, to this swamp. And um, he had moved away, but still hunts over there. So I said, geez, you see me? He goes, yeah, he's right over there. And I had seen the back of the deer. I said, "Have you seen movement?" He said, "A five minutes ago, he moved. You know, it's some kind of movement in the ear, a twitch or whatever." So I said, "Okay, let me go up." And I went up above the deer and I said, "Wait a second, I don't have my release. I had left my my release in the car." And I said, "DJ, let me borrow that." And he handed me his release. I put it on my wrist. I went over, and the deer was still alive, which is at this point breaking my heart because you know this magnificent animal didn't just deserve to, to die a slow death, but and um, you know and Total honesty, this is the way I w- it was going. So I put another arrow in that deer from you know ten yards away, and had to put a fifth arrow to dispatch that deer. That's how amazingly tough these animals are and resilient, and the the absolute um, you know desire to live was was just amazing. So again, not not really thrilled at the Whole event, but the result was, you know, uh, again, I'm glad he was dispatched. I'm glad I, I, he was, you know, I had killed the animal and he didn't go away wounded, and ended up being a, a 158 pound nine pointer. Um, probably uh, at this point, thinking of my career in the woods and and um, you know what I've got ahead of me, uh, probably the deer of my life, and uh, he will be a wall hanger the first buck that I, uh, have shot that deserves to be one. And, uh, he's at the taxidermist now, and I can't wait to get that, that deer back cause he deserves every bit of honor being on the wall and being able to be, uh, to be admired. Cause it was a, just a great deer. And, a and I, you know, the, the strategy was perfect. It, it worked out perfectly. The, the result was great in between was a little bit sketchy, but, but you know, that's how it goes. it's there's no, there's no perfect answer to anything. So, um, Again, uh, great two thousand nineteen. Um, that was two Saturdays ago. Well, up coming, coming to two Saturdays ago. This past Sunday, I was in Rhode Island and, and shot a small buck there. And uh, we hunt Rhode Island for management purposes. We're trying to help call the herd a little bit. We're doing the best we can. We've killed three down there this year, and I'll get to that in a minute. But this was another one. He's at thirty yard, thirty, 30 yards away. Um, decided that he had broadside shot. Took the shot, and you know, as as quote unquote, inhumane as that, that big buck kill was, um, this one was taken through the bottom of the heart and he ran about 30 yards and and piled up. And, and, you know, basically after the shot was probably dead on his feet. So, you know, you kind of get the, the not so good with the, or the the good with the not so good or something like that. But, uh, but it ended up, ended up working out well. Small deer. Um, I will be in, nominated or uh, inducted, I should say, into the SDSG up at uh, camp, which would be the small deer support group um, for small deer killers. And uh, I'll be preceded by plenty of other guys, but uh, I am the newest member. So so I'm looking forward to that ceremony. I don't know what color the jacket, it is, jacket is, but I'm guessing it's probably not like the masters with the uh, the the green jacket. But um, maybe it'll be red. Who knows? So I've, I've uh, been lucky enough to kill two deer this year. Uh, my buddy, Brian, uh, killed a small buck in Rhode Island a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. killed a giant doe in the, uh, in the swamp this past, uh, today's Thursday on Tuesday, dressed out at 148 pounds. And that's a big doe. Um, I shot a doe a few years ago that dressed it, I think 132. And to throw another 16 pounds or whatever on that deer, that's a big doe. So uh, kudos to Brian. Dave, Woody, shot a doe in Rhode Island, shot a small six-point. I shouldn't say small. A respectable six-point in mass. Uh, buddy Jimmy Kaiser up in uh, up in Maine. He killed a, a buck in Rhode Island and a buck in Maine. Donnie from camp killed a deer really nice buck in ohio and unfortunately lost it to coyotes uh but did get the the uh the cape and the and the you know the, the head and horns but uh the rest of it was pretty much decimated by coyotes hence why we should kill more of them um then he shot a really nice buck in maine off his property uh beautiful buck and shot it with his dad's uh Remington 760 I believe pump 30 odd 6 yeah, first year he's taken with that rifle. It's the rifles from uh, nineteen, the nineteen fifties. It was his Dad's when he, his dad bought it new, and it was the first year Donnie took with it. So that's kind of an exciting, uh, exciting hunt for him. Um, what else we got? Chief Scott killed a moose up in uh, up in Maine. His dad Butch killed a moose in Maine. Herb uh, got a buck in Ohio. I don't remember. If Herb's killed a deer in Maine yet. He's a Mainer. He, I don't know if he's killed one in Maine. And then most recently, our friend Jack, Massachusetts guy, awesome guy, killed a... I mentioned him in a previous episode. He killed a moose in uh, in Maine with a longbow at, I think, 27 yards. He was up with Brian and Chief up in uh, southeastern Alaska. He shot a big doe uh, just uh, yesterday. So we've had a good, uh, good, successful 2019. We're doing our part on wildlife management and, um, you know, trying to, trying to keep the herds down so that they remain healthy. And, and, uh, the folks who don't like running into them with their cars or getting Lyme disease or having their ornamental shrubs chewed to the, chewed to the roots. Um, we're just trying to help and we get to eat them. So it's all good stuff. So again, successful 2019. Um, you know, we, we talk about, um, all the things you like to do in the woods and you know it's not all about the killing it's all about just being out there and enjoying wildlife and enjoying the the cold air in your face and the early mornings and and uh it's all good stuff so I don't know how many of you who are listening are hunters but uh if you are I'm sure you've picked up on some of the some of the emotion and and, uh, how much we appreciate what we do and uh, we're going to keep doing as long as we can we talk about that we we hang tree stands, we throw up ladder stands, and at some point we're just going to have to shoot out of uh, ground blinds and hire people to drag these things out of the woods. Cause you know they don't have to be 200 pounds to give you give you fits when you're trying to get them over a blowdown or, or through a, a gully. It's uh, it's a lot of work, and you know as you get older you just start feeling it more and more. So you know at some point we will make that uh, that step to gentleman hunting when we bring in a bringing a staff to help us out, I guess. We're going to have to do something like that, but um, excuse the page turning. Um, One thing I wanted to talk about, I just talked about stands, and we've got some stands in the swamp, and we've really learned a lot over the last few years, and I think I've mentioned this in previous podcasts, but, you know, the safety factor is so important. Dave sent out a uh, a little story recently, of a guy who fell out of his tree stand, and he's, you know, had to have six or eight surgeries, and may never be the same I talk about that young kid I knew who fell out of his stand and ended up with amnesia and luckily was found in the woods by another hunter and uh, you know recovered but could easily have broken his back and you know and, and not you know not lived a very very fruitful life but um, you know we've adopted several things now that that have helped us be more safe and certainly wearing a, a real harness not a rope around your waist is important I wear a muddy hanging right there to my right. Um, to be strapped in is important, you know, and to be in your tree, you just never know what can happen. And Most falls don't happen when you're in your stand, but when you're climbing in or climbing down. Um, speaking of climbing in, we use, um, on, on ladder stands, we typically don't use um, the lifelines. These are these ropes that attach on the bottom of the tree and at the top of the tree, and you, you link into them through a prusik knot and slide your way up and slide your way down the prussic knot is a loose knot but the minute it gets tension it locks tight and that's something that's that we've put on all our stands that require steps and with steps you know we used to put in those those screw-in steps which we found out are illegal in massachusetts it's not because they are uh, dangerous to the tree but because they're dangerous to someone falling if you ever fell on one of those and you most people know what these are they're a a z-shaped piece of metal that has a really tight a really sharp screw end on one end you screw that into the tree and that becomes your step you know they're they're horrible um if you fall into one they're they're never even you know you put them in you think you put them in every two feet and you put one at two one at two and a half one at three and a half and climbing in and out can be you know can be hazardous so we pretty much now with with hang on stands will use the step systems where it's a section of steps that you strap to the tree. And that sounds easy too, but what makes it even easier is when you have your harness on, you strap in with a line uh, lineman strap. This is a strap that goes from a carabiner on one side of your harness to around the tree to the other side of your harness and you lock in with another carabiner. So there's times when you can be on the tree and literally be hands-free and be able to manipulate getting these steps on and then it really helps a ton when you're up at the top of your steps and you start installing your tree stand. You can, you can be up there without, you know, having one arm wrapped around a tree, hoping, hoping for the best. So, so think about all those things, folks, um, the safety lines that, you know, that the, that go up the uh, lifelines, the beauty of those is when you're going up after you've got it installed, you put it through a slip knot above your tree stand, it goes down to the ground, you attach it. When you get down, you, you fasten it to the bottom of the tree somehow on another piece, another tree or a root or something. The, the nice thing is as you're going up and you're up in your stand, you never unlock. That becomes your tree strap. So just, um, you know, they're not cheap. They for like 40 bucks. A harness is like a hundred bucks I mean, they're getting less and less expensive. Believe it or not, the carabiner is the most expensive thing, like $30 for a carabiner. But um, all that said and done, so much less money than a paralyzation or a death. You know, I don't know what a wheelchair costs or someone spoon feeding you for the rest of your life. But let me say, it's so well worth the money. You know, don't take that risk. It's so not worth it. So, uh, you know, we talked about Rhode Island those stands down there, we pretty much have ladder stands and the ladder stand you're, you're walking up everything's, you know, you get your, you've got your bow on a string, a pull up string, pull up rope, and you're walking up a ladder stand. You don't really need all that, um, the safety strap going up, but, but you do lock into that tree Cause you never know. I mean, you sit in some of these stands, you are comfortable, you're tired, you, you not off and all it takes is one false move and you're, you're on the ground and you typically don't land on your feet. So. Safety first folks, again, public service announcement for what it's worth. Um, go on some of these Instagram pages. There's guys that post all the time their scars, their injuries, their stories, and and some of the falls they've had, it's, it's just horrible stuff. Um, since I was going solo tonight, and uh, unfortunately, again, life just gets ahead of everybody. Uh, Woody was supposed to be here tonight, but had to uh, attend a wake for a friend's uh, Friend's dad. Um, Tirsty Mofo is gonna be here, but he's got a big weekend planned and needed to get some things uh, prepared. But um what I thought I'd do is I've had a few questions on my uh, Gmail account, which is pestopeatspodcast at gmail.com. I encourage everybody to to uh, send in some questions, some comments, let me know what you think of the podcast, just clicking on that, which I know you'll do. You're gonna click on that, that right, farm right. Star, which gives me a five-star rating. I'm only, only accepting those. Yeah, just kidding. But um, any questions, comments, concerns, anything, send it to PestoPete's podcast at gmail dot com. Let me know what you think. I'd really be interested in in some of your comments. I certainly have a lot of listeners that are friends and family and coworkers, and they all give me you know give me um, really nice reviews and and constructive criticism. But I'd really appreciate information from folks that don't know me and that have listened to the podcast for the sake of listening to the podcast let me know what you think because I can always work on some of the shortcomings so um I got a question from Tom in, in Virginia if I said Indiana I don't have my glasses on Tom from Indiana says uh, hey Pesto um you talk a lot about bow hunting what is your archery setup And, uh, you know, interestingly, it's, it's one of those things you start out, Tom, when you're, uh, when you're a young kid. And, uh, I started out with a bear Alaskan back in the day, I think weighed about 18 pounds, shooting aluminum arrows, shooting fixed broadheads. Um, equipment just wasn't then certainly what it is today. I'm talking 40 years ago. And, uh, now I shoot a, um, I think right now, I think my bow's about six years old. It's the, uh, The Matthews Helium. And um, it was a year the Helium came out. It was at the time the lightest bow. And I think without accessories, it was 3.2 pounds and super light, super tight and compact. Shoots really quiet. I mean, Matthews typically do anyway. I, I love the Matthews. When you look at a Matthews bow, there's not a whole lot of dampening that they have to put on after the fact to keep the bow quiet and low in vibration and so forth. And that says a lot to how they're designed. And and I was in the market at the time for either a Matthews or a Hoyt. I mean, Hoyt's a great bow. There's a lot of great bow tech. There's so many great brands out there and some new up and comers too. So I called this uh, archery shop in Middleborough, Mass. Reedy's Archery. It's run by Chris Reed. And uh, I'll get to that, the importance of that in a second. But I called him and I said, I'm interested in a bow. And he, he deals mostly Matthews, but some Hoyt. And he said, do me a favor, just buy a Matthews. And he told me a story, and I'll, I'll, I'm hoping to interview him someday. Um, he told me a story. He said a, friend, a customer, is not a friend, but a customer went out to hunt elk in uh, Montana. And they were on a, a pack trip, and the horse sat on his bow somehow. I don't know how a horse sits on a bow. And it bent the bow, it bent the riser so much that the bow was unshootable. And Matthews replaced it for the guy. And that's just the way they roll. You know, they're, they're a really good company. they really, um, they really stand by their product. And even when you make a stupid mistake, like, like it, letting a horse friggin' sit on your bow, I guess they'll replace it. So he convinced me. So I went down, I bought my bow. Um, I shoot the helium. It's, I shoot at 59 and a half pounds, which is plenty enough for me, uh, to kill a deer. I'm sure certainly dial that up when I go elk hunting next year, um, carbon express mayhem hunters. The SDS, which is this the narrow, narrower um, diameter arrow. They are so narrow now you can't even put an insert in them. You have to put an outsert so that the broadhead can, can screw in. I'm shooting the Rage uh, tri-pans. I was shooting the G5 uh, T3s, I think they were called. But I really like these tri I like the cutting diameter. They're a two-blade they're pretty positive as far as opening and I know there's a lot of people out there that don't like that don't like uh mechanical broadhead versus versus um fixed blade but I've had nothing but pretty good success with these deploying I mean I've never had one not deploy, and it's just a simple much more simple mechanism than some of the others that are out there that that can fail and again this they may someday and you know a i don't like the planing that i used to find with the fixed blade so i'm sticking with these they shoot like a field point and they deploy to i think a two inch cutting diameter just just a vicious piece of equipment um i use a g5 sight i don't know the model number but i like it a lot it's got a it's got a fourth pin that actually has a dial where you can dial it up and down from wherever you want i shoot a 20 30 40 So this one is set right now at 50, but it can probably go down to 80 if I was ever to shoot at 80 and the rip cord uh, drop away rest, which has never failed. And I like it a lot and I'll give you a piece of advice. The rip cord, you can lock it up with your arrow in it so that when you draw, you're not worried about the arrow falling into the groove or anything like that. It just naturally is there. And as you draw your bow, it engages and then releases when you uh, when you release. So it's um, it's a great great rest. All of the rip cords. I know they have a micro now, but I have the the predecessor to the micro. Um, Chris Reed, Reedies, and this was a a fact that I heard, two years ago. It was two thousand seventeen, I believe. It was two thousand seventeen or eighteen? We had a cookout at our company. And there was a caterer there, a barbecue caterer. This guy had a beautiful barbecue set up and he had a Reedy's sticker on his truck. And I said, oh, you know, you, hunt and you shop at Reedy's, you know. He said, oh, I'm a really good friend at Chris's. He said to me, do you know he's the highest selling Matthews dealer in the world from Middleborough, Massachusetts? And he said, no, it was 2018. He said in 2017, he was the highest selling dealer in the world and his 2018 numbers in the middle of the summer had already exceeded 2017's numbers. So he was going for another another um record sales for Matthew's equipment. And again, in the world. And this is a guy in a a really nice shop. He moved from the center of Middleborough to um to the other side of town, built a new a new shop, it's a beautiful shop. It's got an arrow shop in there. You can get custom-made arrows. He's got shooting lanes upstairs, shooting lanes downstairs. There's a gun shop in there now. He has a barber that has a shop in his shop and they'll they'll take care of you, right? I mean, you walk up to the counter and they'll do anything you need, anytime you need. And Chris is always, well, I shouldn't say always there, but he's there very frequently. And go on their website, Reedy's, um, R-E-E-D-Y apostrophe S. There's a great video about him and some of the things he's had to overcome. And I already had respect for him as a businessman. When you watch this video, you'll respect him even more as a person. It's uh, it's quite the quite the uh, challenge he's had the last few years, and he's overcome a lot of things. So um, anyway, Tom, thank you for your question. I hope that answered everything. Um, and I'm a I'm a, a Matthews proponent, so um, I'm all for Matthews. Uh, another question. Now I see that it was Kelly from Vermont. Now this could have a, a precedent. I I have not had a question from a woman. It could be Kelly, a boy Kelly or a girl Kelly. I don't know. So let's pretend it's a, a female Kelly so that I can say I had my first uh, question from a woman for my podcast. Um, it's an interesting question. I am no, I'm no expert on some of this stuff, but, um, and I thought about this for a little bit and I listened to a lot of other podcasts. Uh, I've mentioned it before, Meat Eater and, um, Cal's Week in Review and, and, some of the other guys that are associated with the meat-eater group. And her question, Kelly's, was, uh, what do you think the reason is for the hunter numbers dropping? And I think that, that's a tough question to answer. I think there's so many different things that you could, you could uh, figure into this equation. But um, I think first and foremost is, is the tradition isn't being passed down. I think we've lost a lot of, uh, a lot of that tradition as people get more urbanized. People moving from the country to the city. Um, You know, I think about my own heritage, my own hunting heritage. And, uh, you know, I I came from a family, an immediate family with no hunters. Um, My mother's brother was a hunter. And my mother's dad was a, a hunter. And I say that. My grandfather, and we called him Chucky. He didn't want him to be known as a granddad. He never wanted to feel old, so we called him Chucky. My wife thinks that's very strange. But I don't. It seemed normal to me. And he, I remember him telling me as, when I was a little kid, he killed a, a doe with a four ten shotgun with a slug in, back in the day. And uh, I don't know that he shot anything else, but that was back in probably the 40s. Uh, my Uncle Chuck was pretty, pretty uh, respectable hunter up in New Hampshire. He killed a few bears, he killed some deer. Uh, but other than that, I haven't had a hunting heritage besides that. I remember my cousin getting me into some shooting when I was in my teens. But, you know, besides... Uh, my family it was just my friends, you know. I, I met Woody, formally in college. I knew him in high school, but uh, we were roommates in college, and we started hunting a lot up there, and and really got the bug together. Um, our mutual friend Brian is a terrific hunter, and he's, you know, kind of melded us into into being who we are. Dave's is Woody is a super hunter. Brian's really successful. I'm holding my own, but. Uh, you know it's uh it's it's all about that and i don't think a lot of these kids now have any of that in their immediate uh, families you know their dads come from the city or their dad's dad and they've lost that tradition the hunting tradition and it's sad um i think also with kids nowadays there's there's several other factors there's there's the immediate gratification thing you know who wants to put all that time in to maybe see a deer you know and and it's kind of sad in in you know, when it comes to the the video game generation, and that's probably two generations old now, um, there's just not the, that much desire to get up zero dark 30, get in the woods, freeze your butt off, you know, maybe see something. You know, I, I come out of the woods some days, never seen anything and I'm the happiest guy in the world, but I can see how it can be frustrating and, you know, not so much fun. So, um, I think there's a lot of that. I think we're losing, we're losing um, a lot of the hunting um, with with encroachment. We're losing all the hunting land. Where you know they're building houses. I drive through my hometown, and I drove by a couple weeks ago and went by this spot and said, "Oh, that's where I f- killed my first pheasant." And you would not know there were ever woods there where you could kill a pheasant. It was one McMansion after the other up this hill built right on power lines, no regard for anything. They just clear cut this spot about 15 years ago. And that's all it was. And, uh, you know, we could keep saying that, I mean, there's areas where we hunt, where you can't even be within legal distance of that and be in the woods anymore. So I think there's a lot of that. Um, and just the know-how, um, I know here in Massachusetts to get into a hunter safety course is brutal. You have to be, have your finger over the button when they re- when they announce a course and hit enter to get that. And if you don't, you're going to miss out because there's just so few of them and we don't have an online course here. And I will say that the former head of the uh, mass wildlife lives two doors down from Brian. And I tell him all the time, I say you got to put this online. So kids can have the opportunity to get their license and get out in the woods and be mentored by folks like us that will, you know, get them, uh, off their ass in front of video games and out in the woods, enjoying nature and, and, you know, harvesting animals and having the thrill of eating a venison steak that you took yourself or, or your friend took or your, you know, whatever you were there to help field dress. Um, I say that and I almost, I, I, I laugh because, you know, we wanted to hunt Rhode Island. We started, I think five years ago, and Dave and I started the process together. It was an online course, which is, I think the typical online course for most, most states in the country. I think it's the same course, but it's, it's pro- now here I am. Let's think about this. I'm like 50 at the time. And I've got to take a 12 hour online course for something I've been doing for 30 years, more than 30 years, 35 years. So I set my laptop up in our living room while I painted and you can't fast forward through the screens, but I listened and, um, you know, went through the course and then you're required to take a hundred question exam. And if you want to bow hunt, you have to then take a two day, but it's not day, two, four hours, two different days for four hours, a bow class, uh, you know, sitting in class learning about bow hunting and hunter safety and all that stuff after that. Oh, and by the way, they were at like three o'clock in the afternoon in the middle of nowhere in Rhode Island at their headquarters. And I mean, in the woods, literally in the woods. So here we are investing all of this. Oh, and after that class, you have to take a 50 question exam. And if you want to hunt any of the islands, which we do, You had to take a bow proficiency class. You had to shoot three arrows into a pie plate from 20 yards, three out of five. So we were successful, but imagine all of that work you have to put in to get the ability to hunt in Rhode Island. And right there, that's another reason people aren't hunting. It's too much work and too much of the unknown to, uh, to even pursue it. So They've got to make it easier. I don't want it to make it any less safe. I don't want it to make it any, you know, more of a challenge for people, but it should be a lot easier to to stop the process. And, uh, you know, that's that's just insane. So um, those are my reasons. Land restrictions, tribal knowledge, you know, just the ability to get out there and do it. So, Kelly, whether you're a man or a woman, we're assuming you're a woman, thank you for the question. We appreciate it. Um, one more, and uh, this is from, uh, I don't know if this is true, but it's from Kevin in Massachusetts, so I'm wondering if this, Kev, this is Kevin, my uh, my paid subscriber, and if it is, thank you, Kevin. If it's not, thank you, Kevin. Um, this this is a simple one. What's your favorite game meat? And it's kind of a, it's funny, it was, it was put in the email as kind of bullet points. What's your favorite game meat? Personally, elk. You don't get a lot of it, and if it's as good as the one, the, the elk I ate seven or eight years ago is insane. Elk. And as far as fowl, I think partridges and, you know, rough grouse is, is probably the best meat in the woods. Wild Turkey and rough grouse are very similar, but, uh, grouse tends to be a lot more tender and, and, uh, just a delicious, delicious bird, um, favorite fish, well, let's go in water And it's, a, it's probably a toss up between Wahoo and Mahi Mahi, um, maybe cobia in there too. I, I, I wrenched a cobia out of the, out of a reef a few years ago in the uh, It was about 30 pounds and we put it on the grill that night. And I'm going to tell you that was one delicious fish. So, um, that's my, that's my three choices for fish. And then, then, uh, favorite recipe. I love making moose stuffed peppers, venison, stuffed peppers. I throw a little Velveeta in the middle of it for, uh, for effect. Um, wild Turkey spetzel which is, uh, you know, just pounded out really thin breadcrumbs, panko with a gravy over, um, over wide noodles. Absolutely delicious. I made that dish for, uh, for Woody and his cousin, Chris down in Rhode Island. Uh, oh geez. Opening, opening weekend of uh bow back in September. So that was, uh, that was insane. And, uh, and all I can say is be creative, Kevin. You know, um, we were up in camp and we had uh, turkey dinner and Jimmy had made stuffing and and I had some extra moose sausage, Italian sausage, and I mixed it into that uh, stuffing. And I'm going to tell you, it was a hit. It was unbelievable. So um, those are my choices. Thank you, Kevin from Massachusetts. And uh, folks, if you have any questions or comments, again, PestoPete's podcast at gmail.com and uh, send in some info. I'd love to love to hear from you. Um, Wanted to talk a little bit about uh, a milestone. Supposedly we have a new record whitetail that was shot this week. uh, I believe in Ohio uh, or Oklahoma. I got to look that up. But um, we'll get into that next episode. Um, Wanted to keep this relatively brief. And as I look at the clock, it's 48, 49 minutes. So just wanted to uh, keep it alive. Appreciate everybody listening. Uh, remember my sponsor Quietcat Q U I E T K A T, quietcat.com, and if you use the code PO like post office, twenty percent with the percent symbol, um, you get twenty percent off, which is which is pretty significant. And uh, to my friends at Quietcat, my friend Connor, thanks very much for uh, for the sponsorship. Um, next time, we will cover some other things. I've got a um, a podcast coming up. I'm still working on how I want to present it, but I will say with a tease, uh, June 7th, 1996, um, was a day that changed my life and I want to talk about it, but I just got to figure out how. So we will, uh, we will leave with that tease. Thanks very much for listening. Appreciate all of that. Remember me on your likes or dislikes. Um, you can only go down to a one, on a rating, so if it's lower than one, just email me at pestopeetspodcast um, Follow me on Instagram at Pesto Pete's Podcast. I like I said, I post a lot. I'd love to hear from you folks, and I I'm looking for people to follow. I'm hoping some people will follow me. I got a pretty good following at this point, but I'm always putting up interesting stuff, and uh, and uh, look forward to hearing from you. Remember, shoot straight, tight lines. We've got muzzleloader season here in Massachusetts. We're going out Saturday. Um, I'm probably gonna pass on everything i see but i'm hoping to get my son a, in front of a deer or get himself in front of a deer and and help him with his uh with his first large mammal kill um again thanks for listening we'll be in touch soon take care